0: So to make each one of our staff members feel like they bring value in multiple areas, you've got to trust them and let it ride. To be able to, you know, empower them with different things within our program and intangible things. It's not just little things like, hey, you're running our defense. What are we doing offensively? And I'm out of it. And to be able to empower people so they feel an extreme amount of value. That's how I think the bring connectivity I'm
1: Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of South Dakota State men's basketball, Eric Henderson. Coach Henderson is here today to discuss the art and science of shooting high-value threes, empowering your staff, and we talk pain points of forcing left, and bench substitution decisions during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches, one of the best ways to help support what we do is by becoming a member of SG+. We now have coaches and staffs from over 40 different countries who are happy to call members, and they get access to SGTV's over 500 detailed breakdown video library by both ourselves, and coaches like Stan Van Gundy, Ryan Pannone, Martin Schiller, Josh Schertz, and many more. As well as the weekly deep dive newsletter, access to a private coaching community, and much more. For more information, email us at infoslappingglass.com or visit slappingglass.com to sign up today. Thanks for the support. And now Please enjoy our conversation with coach Eric Henderson. Coach, a lot we want to get into with today on the court, off the court, some of the unique ways that you guys play and want to start with something from last season. And I know it's last year, but still interesting to dive into. I can repeat last season again. I'm good with that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, you guys had a terrific year, 30 and five, went to the tournament. One of the things that you all did better than anyone in the country was shoot the three. You're the number one three point field goal percentage team in the country. And so we kind of wanted to pick your brain on all the things that go into being a great three point shooting team. Obviously having great shooters helps quite a bit, but sort of systematically how you think about getting great shots and how you think about, you know, putting guys in spots to shoot those high percentage three. So we're going to start broadly and then we'll kind of dive in on the details there, but just. To you, how you think about that as a coach?
0: Obviously, you're right, Dan. Part of it does start with how you recruit and what type of things that you value when you're recruiting. And when we talk about skill, you know, basically shooting, passing, and dribbling are the things that we look at when we're looking at guys. We like taller guards and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you do have to be able to shoot. So it does all start with that. But then systematically, you know, something that we, talk a lot about as a staff is ironically paint touches. And on missed shots, what our goal is we want to make sure we're getting a paint touch within the first five seconds of the shot clock. So we want to play with great pace. We want to get the ball up the floor and then we want to get the ball into the paint. And now that can happen in a lot of different ways, whether you're just throwing the ball into one of your post players or you attacking downhill, you know, with the ball in your hand as a guard or whoever. That's where it all starts is trying to get paint touches early in possessions. And then once we get those paint touches, we feel like we're a good enough passing team. Not only are we a good passing team, but we're a very willing passing team that we believe is really, really important. And we certainly celebrate those in practices. We celebrate passes in film sessions and all of that stuff, but starts with that paint touch. And then we talk about spacing after that. You know, we're kind of a little bit of old school, you know, type offense where honestly, it looks like three out two in motion a lot of times. We believe that the stunts, the opportunities to help, if you're going to double, come from a lot farther if you're three out, two in motion, and so that's the spacing that we talk about in broad terms. Early paint touches, three out, two in motion, and let it fly, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: love that. So, coach, I'd love to dive in and maybe give a couple of stats just to kind of add to this conversation real fast, and then we can keep diving in. But you know, as we're preparing, we're kind of looking through all of your stats, analytics from last year to go along with your three-point shots. And two things were interesting that kind of stuck out to us. One is you had the highest three-point shooting team in the nation, but you were only 181st in how many threes you shot per game or percentage of your offense. So you were somewhat judicious with the types of threes that you shot, even though you had great shooters. And then second was your team was in the bottom 5% as far as just number of off screen actions that you set for your shooters. So as far as not a lot of like pin downs or things where shooters are coming off screens, but more shooters were taking step in threes in whatever way that you taught it. So with those two, I guess, stats in mind, are those things that are really important to you guys as far as when you're looking for good threes?
0: Yeah, very important to us. We're a team that if you would watch us on a consistent basis, guys, we're not going to run a ton of sets. We're a very, very much emotion team. And like I said before, it's really a three out, two in type of motion. And so we talk about that spacing. And, you know, when you talk about the, you know, the 181st team that we just didn't shoot a ton of them either, or 180 of them shot more than us, even though we shot it really well. I think a lot of that had to do with our selflessness and our ability To space the floor, but also our ability to score around the basket too, and having confidence in each other. You know, we talk to our bigs, and if you get a touch on the block and you're playing one on one, you need to go score the basketball. That's why we have these other guys around you and just having that trust in each other that, hey, yeah, if somebody comes to double team you, you're going to have the confidence in us to knock down that shot if you're a willing passer, but it goes vice versa too we have the confidence in you down on the low block to take care of business if we're going to be guarded and you're going to be allowed to play one-on-one. A couple other things that come to my mind when you ask those questions, though, is it all starts to me with our skill development piece. And, And I'm really, really fortunate to have terrific assistant coaches. Brian Peterson, you know, who was a head coach at you know, Kirkwood Community College and won a couple national championships there. Rob Klinkafoos, who's been on staff at South Dakota State now 17 years. And Kyle Marshall, who won, uh, you know, was in the national championship game while he played at Butler, are all basketball junkies. And they love skilled players just like me. And so they really value that. But in our skill development piece, which we really think is the base of our success offensively, you're going to see a lot of guys making extra passes. You're going to see a lot of guys attacking the paint, playing off two feet, looking to kick out to shoot threes. And then when that happens, they're always making an extra pass to each other. And I just think the more times you do that, the more natural it feels, the better and more comfortable you feel. And they're terrific at putting in drills and making our guys go through things that would happen in our motion offense. So they're comfortable shooting the shots in games because they've done it a hundred times over in our workouts. And honestly, I give a lot of credit to our guys and the guys that I get to work with every day for doing that and being creative with how they do it. So I believe that's a big part of it. And creating that selfless attitude in those workouts while you're making that extra pass, I just believe makes better shooters. So those are things that really stick out to me when you say those numbers, you know, where we don't set a lot of down screens, we don't set a lot of double staggers, we're not gonna run a lot of sets. If you've hit a couple shots, You know, most coaches think, oh, let's make a run. Let's run a set for this dude. You just better find it. And our guys just kind of know that you're going to get it. If you don't, eventually you will. And you're going to trust your teammates that they're going to take good shots. So it's more a mental approach than it is really anything physical, probably. Coach, a lot of great information
2: there. You said your emphasis on getting a paint touch within the first five seconds. And you mentioned whether it's through the post or through the guard drive. I'd like to just kind of hone in a little bit in terms of how are you working on that or what are you stressing? I mean, obviously the rim run, Is it? are you looking more for the throw ahead pass or the advance with the dribble? And then also working on, I think it's a hard, just a throw ahead and assume we're going to immediately just get into the paint. You know, it's a little bit tougher in execution than in theory at times.
0: The first part is running. And part of it is the rim run. You know, that's just one of the guys though. But to be able to have that guy run the floor really, really hard. You're five man or four man. We kind of switch it off, to be honest with you. But to put pressure on the rim so people have to protect that area is really, really important. But equally, it's other guys on the team. So if you can pass ahead, we're going to want to do that as well extremely often. But our first emphasis is to keep your head up and look into the post. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, you know, run fancy plays, you know, to get the ball into the post. But at the end of the day, you just have to celebrate when your guys do it and keep your head up and really celebrate those moments when they do. And when they don't, we show it to our film. Hey, do you think we could have maybe got the ball inside here? And a lot of times that happens early in the seasons. And then we're just creating habits. So it does really start with we create a heavy emphasis in practice during the summer, during the fall and early practices of running the floor and passing the ball ahead when you can. Do we get a bunch of throws, you know, our goal is to get three over the top passes every game. We were successful more than half of the games last year. But team scout, they know what they want to take away, but what that does, it also makes you a better defensive rebounding team because the team wants to get back. And They don't want to give up those easy baskets because you can see every single time you do, what does that coach on the sideline do? Come on, We're not going (laughs) to give up any of those easy baskets today, right? I do it too, because we give up a fair amount too, you know, but it just is disappointing. So that's something that is emphasized early, early on. Whenever kids get into our program, they just kind of know that that's an expectation and that we're going to play fast. We're going to get paint touches early. And it's not that you can't shoot. Like if you're open. I'm good. Like, I'm good getting the shot up. And the, our guys know that, but they also have a great understanding that our percentage is, you, you know, we shot 44% last year because we probably led the country in paint touches too. And
2: sticking on that note, if we look at, yeah, like you said, generating threes, if you get that early rim run, you get it in the post, and you mentioned spacing obviously was a big component. How are you looking to space around that early post touch? And what is, I guess, you know, the three out two is the four or five man then diving. You know, I guess, what's then the next step for you guys in the, within the offense?
0: It's really interesting. You know, last year, we probably played a little bit more four out because Baylor Shireman, who was our league MVP now at Creighton, he played the four position for us. He was a kind of a point forward for us. But, you know, he was a lot more perimeter oriented. It probably looked a lot more like a four out one in. And then we had Doug Wilson, Luke Apple, Matt Dentlinger guys that, you know, we would play two posts sometimes, but those guys don't shoot threes per se. So it did look like a lot more like a four out one in motion, but regardless of who we had on the floor, regardless. And sometimes it was Baylor Shireman who shot 48% from the three point line. Other times it was a guy that shot 46% from the three point. Line. We always had a guy dive into the backside. We always had a guy dive in because what we felt like was happening is because if you're cutting to the basket, You have to be guarded because our bigs are really, really good passers. We got several layups just by cutting to the basket. But what it did, it really, really shrunk the floor. And then we talk about when you do that, when we do that anyway, what happens is now your perimeter players that are good shooters more times than not have a lot more space on the perimeter to find open areas. So regardless of who it was, and it may seem odd, and I would just tell Baylor, and I know it's not the cool thing to do dive to the opposite block. I get it. But listen, you're going to have plenty of other opportunities to score the basketball. We need you to do this. So we're able to space things out on the other side of the floor. And then Doug can go to work on the low block if they're not going to double or whoever it was. Once we got that paint touch, especially when we threw it into a post, we dove somebody, whether we were in a three out two in motion, whether we were in a you know four out one in we always dive somebody to the opposite block, opposite dunk spot area. And then if they wanted to double, we loved it when they doubled. We were such willing passers. We were bigger. We could see over dudes and we would make the extra pass and we shot it really, really good. So it was kind of cool when they doubled. But, you know, on paint touches from the guards, let's say it's just from a ball screen situation and we're just attacking. We really, really emphasize playing off two feet. Now, if you're going to go dunk on somebody, all good. Like maybe go do it. We're good with that too. But if you're not going to go attack the rim, it's really important that we play off two feet, have good balance, making sure if people react to you, let's be selfless and share the basketball. Bring kind of in the skill
2: development piece. And you mentioned, you know, you have good post passers. So in the skill development, how are you working with your posts and their passing ability?
0: A couple of different things. Number one, the thing that we work on with our posts the most is just playing one-on-one because we want you to be able to score. If we're going to have all these shooters around you and we recruit to that, like our bigs, like last year, let's, okay, even the last three years, more times than not, we had a couple of guys on the floor that really couldn't shoot a three-point shot, but they were valuable because you couldn't leave the other guys. And so first and foremost, if you're going to be played one-on-one, we want dudes that can score because a lot of times you're going to have to play one-on-one. And so that's first and foremost. And then and Doug was really good, and Luke's really good at doing that, if they do bring that, a lot of times we practice the passing and skill development piece to your question off a double team. We would bring another guy, we retreat dribble, we can throw up, we can step through, we work on different things, however you feel comfortable. If you read the double coming, we talk about spinning away from them. And then if you spin to the baseline, we got different spots filled. Sometimes we have a 45 degree cutter. If that's, if we feel like going into the game, that they're going to double from a certain spot. We have different kind of plans to go about attacking the double team and trying to find the right spacing for us to take advantage of those double teams. But to work on it, skill development wise, all of our bigs are doing a lot of the similar drills as our guards. I mean, even if it's on the perimeter or wherever, we're going to do some ball handling with those guys. We're going to do passing drills with those guys. Every single practice that we start with. We have a skill development piece for 10 minutes. And then the first drill that we do will be a passing drill. And this is more a team practice type deal, not necessarily skill development, but every single practice we start with a passing drill. And that's on purpose. So our guys understand what's really, really important to our coaching staff and what we believe is really, really important to our success.
1: Coach, I would love to actually just stay on the player development piece and it kind of as it relates to three point shooting. But you keep mentioning teaching your guys to play off two. And for you, Just the art of teaching guys to play slower and play off of two, is there anything that you all do drill wise to drill that skill to understand the decision making of, hey, I'm going to attack off one or I'm going to play slower, get to my spot on the floor, play off two feet? Is there something that you do outside of drills or is it just kind of part of your DNA all the time?
0: I'll be honest, in our drills, we do try to be creative with our guys and allow them to, you know, develop their game and per se. So we're going to work on the euro step. We're going to work on the, you know, wrong flip finish type stuff, opposite hand on the, you know, type of stuff. So we do some of that stuff. I don't want to say we're robots or anything like that necessarily. You know, we want to make sure our guys have a great amount of confidence, a great amount of freedom, because that's fun. I mean, all players want to do that. And at the end of the day, it is a game. So you want to make sure they're enjoying it and feel like they're getting better with different ways to finish around the basket, just being free and let them play comfortable. So getting back to the two feet, it's something that, you know, when we're doing drills more and and we're, you know playing in competitive situations, it's something that we'll work on, whether if it's out of shell drill, okay, every gap drill, we're going to drive this gap right here and you're going to play off two feet. So we do balance drills at the beginning of practice once in a while to work on that stuff. But it's what you want to emphasize, to be honest with you. It's kind of film work. It's in practices. What are you going to celebrate? What are you going to reward players for? And at the end of the day, The ultimate reward is playing time, right? For all these guys. And so if you remind them every once in a while, hey, I'm just telling you, if you play off your two feet, you're going to be a hell of a lot more efficient and you want to play, right? Kind of goes hand in hand here, boys. (laughs) So just kind of having an understanding of how we believe that we're going to be at our best.
1: And I can watching you guys play and other teams that do a good job of playing off of two feet, when a player does slow themselves down, play off of two, especially as they get closer to the rim, I feel like it slows their mind down a little bit to make better decisions. But then it also gives the spacing around that drive, the guys to really get their feet set to either catch and shoot or catch and make the extra pass. And so I guess connecting the three-pointer with playing off of two, how important that is to you guys to get to that good spacing around those kinds of drives.
0: Yeah, it ultimately goes back to that paint touch that we talked about earlier. If you're attacking the basket and you're a, you're a hooper with some, you know, leaving all your options open and you're getting downhill and if you're playing off one foot, you're going to throw some crazy pass. <laughs> and uh, those are the ones that you shoot 38% with, not 44%. <laughs> so it's really important. Like you said, you get to that, you know, the ultimate paint touch that we want. You're under control. Your body's slowed down. Your mind is slowed down. You're going to make a better pass. Okay, I got a clean catch. Maybe I can drive that closeout. I got one more bang. That's a big part as well of it's not just throwing it into a four or five man. It's those guards attacking closeouts. It's a guard attacking early in transition. It's a guard using his wiggle, shake, whatever you want to say to get downhill to play off two feet under control, making solid passes.
1: Coach, I want to ask you one more thing about the three-point shooting. And it has to do with your team mentality. And when you know as a staff and your team knows it too, that you have a great three-point shooting team, your ability to separate from teams quickly and also your ability to maybe close a gap, there could be a certain confidence level with your group of being able to to do both of those i guess just from a coaching standpoint and you knowing that you had that kind of ace in the hole to be able to shoot it how that i guess breeds a winning mentality or ability for that team to like know like hey we can come back from a deficit or we can put this team away quickly
0: There's this extreme amount of confidence within our program, (laughs) Yeah, you know, to your point, like we've been getting whooped before, but our guys have a belief that we're going to step on the floor every game and win. And does some of that have to do with the confidence that they have offensively that we can score it at a really, really high level? And when you count by threes, it counts by more than two, probably, you know, and I'd never want to lose that confidence that our group has or our program has. and belief that every time we step on the floor that we can win. To me, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence, right? And arrogance will catch up to you and it shows up at the very, very worst of times or at the times when you want it to the least, you know? And so we talk about our guys and that's why, you know, confidence isn't one of our keys to success. Respect is. Do I believe confidence is a part of it? For sure. And being able to go on spurts like you're talking about gives us a great amount of confidence and belief that we're never out of the game and we can knock these guys out if we just, hey, let's get some defensive stops. We can go on some runs and this baby's over. Let's go. Let's go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms, Hoopsalytics, a high-powered, affordable, affordable, an easy to use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available unlike other systems Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you through video link stats interactive shot charts and other tools zero programming is required for a free trial and to receive a 25 percent discount on the product visit Hoopsalytics.com slash glass. That's hoopsalytics.com slash glass. And now back to our conversation. We want to transition now to a segment on the show we call Start, Sub, or Sit. So we'll give you three different topics, ask you to start one, your favorite, sub one, and sit one. And then we'll have a fun little discussion from there. So coach, if you're ready, we can dive into this first one.
0: Let's let it ride. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds
1: good. So the theme of this first start subset for you is team culture building activities. All right. And so your start would be maybe your favorite way to build your team culture through these three different things. So start sub sit. The first option is, you know, leisure activities. So doing something off the court, just something fun, bowling, whatever, to go to a movie as a team. The second option is team learning meetings. So maybe you're as a team, you're sitting down watching a video, you're learning about some kind of other player, things like that, that you're kind of learning together. And then the third one is trust building activities. So maybe you're actually sharing things or you're building trust amongst the group that's going to help ultimately, you know, bring the group closer together. So start, sub, or sit, three different culture building activities.
0: Okay. Here's what I got for you, fellas. Start is for sure the leisure activity. Okay. Part of it is, you all know, you you guys coach, you, you are hoopers. Like this thing can be a grind, right? Like if you're going to be successful, you're going to work your tail off and it's going to take a lot of time in the gym, extra time on your own to be successful. So anytime, like we can get in a leisure activity, whether, you know, we go to a couple of lake houses and chill and go boating. One of my favorite things we do, and now it's not always leisure, but it's more like the paintballing Now, when they see Coach Hendo on that opposite side and they can shoot one of those paintballs at him, believe me, they're gonna (laughs) not quit fire and even though my gun's up, my hands are up, they're gonna keep going. So the leisure activity is probably is not probably is definitely the start. Okay. The sub, now I'm an educator at heart, but I'd probably go with the trust building, yeah, that type of stuff where you can continue to get connected in other ways throughout the game, other than on the court other than x's and o's basketball type stuff so learning the you know to be connected and trust each other i'm good with subbing that i like that type of stuff and not that i don't like learning like i said i'm a former, i'm an educator but uh, i'd probably have to do the the learning as the sit
1: Okay. That sounds good. Coach, loved your answers. I'd actually like to start with your sub and that's the trust building and the sharing activities. Is there anything like within your program that potentially you do differently or any views you have on that where you're off the floor, you're asking guys to maybe share, be more personal, to get to know each other? at a certain level that those things can be sometimes difficult for you know 18 to 22 23 year old guys to do those things but ultimately you know how much it can help your culture is there anything that you think about those kinds of activities
0: yeah you know we try to do a couple different things and some of them are whole team but honestly more importantly what i really like one of the things that we do is it's not a point system but we have kind of an excel sheet for the summer and before practice starts we get each player has to go, whether it's out for breakfast, go fishing, do some sort of activity with just one of their teammates. It's not a group thing. It's just with one of their teammates throughout the summer and the fall before our official practice begins. And honestly, it's good, you know, culturally for our guys to understand and respect and to appreciate differences, but also get to understand your teammates and trust and learn about them more and more, you know, and it's more than just basketball. You learn a lot about each other, you know, and as a coach, you hear some things from those different things that you didn't know about a certain player either. So it's just a really good trust building activity that, and it's not even really an activity. It's just more of a longevity thing. But I think it's important as, you know, rosters and especially now with the, you know, the transfer portal and rosters changing probably more than they ever have just to get to know each other and respect and, you know, appreciate each other. But culturally, you know, socially and all that sort of stuff, I just think it's really, really valuable.
2: Coach, what is the relation between having a good culture and actually winning basketball games. What do you view as the advantage of having a good culture? Maybe if we look specific on in terms of success on the court.
0: That's a great question. And I don't know if this necessarily answers it, but like South Dakota State basketball, it's not about one person, right? Like coach Nagy was here and he transitioned South Dakota State from division two to division one. And there was a few lean years to start, but then he got this baby rolling, you know, and then TJ took over and that's when I came in and because I knew TJ from before. And then when I took over, we've been fortunate enough to continue our success. It's not necessarily about the coach. It's about your atmosphere. It's about your environment and the support that we get is terrific. But one thing that I think is really, really important and has been, I think, a big part of our success, because you're going to have expectations, whether they're good or they're bad. I want them to be good. I want to be in a program that expects to win, that does win. I mean, that a little more fun. Let's be honest, fellas. But the approach since I've been here and from what I've heard about Coach Nagy, there's not a lot of goal setting. We don't go into the year saying, hey, if we don't win a conference championship, we have a bad culture or we had an unsuccessful season. I've never one time talked about our goals being to go to the NCAA tournament or to win 22 games or to win an outright conference championship. It never talks about it. Never talk about it. What we talk about is just the process to creating habits and Hey, you have to be consistent on a day-to-day basis, because there's going to be things that happen that are out of our control that could decide a game, could decide a season if injuries play, whatever, that you really can't control. So let's just worry about what we can control and then let the results speak for themselves. And to me, when you talk about culture, you talk about, can you have a good culture and not win? I believe so, because you can't control everything. I'd love to win 30 games again next year. But if we don't, just because we won 30 games last year, okay, then it's not a successful season. Come on now. Now, there may be people saying that, but that's not how I feel. That's not how I feel. If if we go about things the way we believe you have to to be successful, let the chips fall where they may. Coach,
1: we're talking about culture building with your players and all these activities and ways you do it. How about amongst your staff and ways to potentially bring a staff closer together through some type of activity or just, you know, ways that you view building a cohesive unit from a staff standpoint?
0: Well, there's certainly things you can do. I mean, and we do some things. We do like each other and we hang out, but we all got young families too, you know, and so we're all busy. And to respect that, I think is kind of where it starts and to be able to appreciate that, yes, our job is really important as we're helping young people grow and learn and hopefully become better people and and win a few basketball games along the way. But you better be taking care of things at home. You better be a good husband. You better be a good father too. And, And to be able to respect that and understand that, I think is really important. And then the second thing is, I think it's really, really important. If you want people to be happy, you have to give them responsibility. You have to trust them. And so to make each one of our staff members feel like they bring value in multiple areas, I think that's how you come together. And even though sometimes you may not necessarily agree with it as a head coach or the leader of your business, the leader of your company, whatever, you've got to trust them and let it ride. See what happens. I hired the guys I hired for a reason. I believe in them. I trust them. And so to be able to you know, empower them with you know different things within our program and intangible things, it's not just little things like hey, you're running our defense. What are we doing offensively? And you're doing all the subbing and I'm out of it. And at the end of the game, if we need to draw an out of bounds play to win the game, I'm not drawing it up. that's not my job. And to be able to empower people so they feel an extreme amount of value. That's how I think you bring connectivity. And yeah, can you hang out? Can we go golfing? Yeah, we do that every once in a while. Do I bring them over to the house? Sure. Once in a while and hang out? Absolutely. But To me, I think it's more about empowering and respect.
2: Okay, coach, our next start subset, moving back onto the court. We know talking beforehand that you guys like to force left hand defensively. So this start subset is called tough to teach when it comes to forcing weak hand. So tough to teach, just the on-ball foot angles of the defender, on-ball defender, the help rotations and how they may change depending on what side of the court the action is or where you're forcing or the communication aspect of it?
0: Okay. The start for me would be when we're talking what we call our shade left defense. So when young people, you know, we get, we don't recruit a lot of transfers. So mostly young people, when they come into our program, the hardest part for them to understand is we're shading left and we're not just opening up to our left. So the on ball foot angle is probably the most difficult thing to have our players understand. Like, A direct line drive is a direct line drive. That's not cool. Whether you're going left or whether you're certainly not going right. So that is probably the hardest. The rotations, honestly, they're fairly, I shouldn't say normal, but that's probably the easiest. So that would be my sit. We do a lot of crackdown drills to help with that. But our guys understand and conceptually grasp that probably, I'd say fairly good. Now we got to get in there quicker. We got them to be a little more physical, some different things like that. Now, we're <laughs> certainly not perfect at it, but they do understand the concepts. And so the middle sub area is the communication. And then for our shade left, and most of the time, those communication fumbles happen on ball screen. And so that's what we work on a lot. And it's kind of our danger zone area that we got to make sure we're continuing to monitor it and continue to make sure that it's not hurting. Because at the end of the day, we want to put our players in the best position to be successful. And that's where we always monitor. Is this really doing that?
2: Coach, so I guess I'd like to start, maybe pull out a little bit. Philosophically, why do you like the shade left defense?
0: Philosophically, to me, it was like, are we going to force middle? Are we going to force baseline? Or the other one, when we went to Carlton up in Canada about seven years ago and got waxed by about 60 <laughs> and they were using the shade left, they had called it lock left defense. We're not Quite as aggressive as they were. Or to me, it was the shade left defense. And what really, really sold me on the shade left defense was the passing. We talked about why do I feel like part of the reason why we shoot it at such a high level is because we get to the paint and we're a really, really good passing team. We make the extra pass. And so we're catching and shooting the ball off of good passes so we can shoot 44%. So back to the shade left. When we analytically and statistically charted games for over a year, the amount of shootable passes coming from a left-hand drive was way less and way more deficient than when it was coming from a right-hand drive and they were kicking and making, we charted shootable passes and they were way better and the shots went in way more when that pass was coming from a right-hand drive than it was coming from a left. And that's ultimately, philosophically, why I went to it. It's not perfect, I know that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But now, I guess, kind of going back in, you mentioned that the foot angle and the actual shading aspect was the toughest to teach. So i just love to hear your thoughts on, I guess, on what is the shade angle that you're teaching or working with the guys and not just giving up to recline drives.
0: We do a lot of it off of closeouts, to be honest with you, Pat. So we do a lot of one-on-one drills, especially, you know, early in the summer and still doing it now. And we'll do something probably every other day at the start of practice, honestly, even just working fundamentally one-on-one and we're just tossing the ball up in different areas of the court because it feels different when you're on the right wing than it does on the left wing and, or if you're at the top of the key and we just show them and talk about them being opened up. For us, our left foot is just slightly on the outside of the player's right foot that you're guarding. And then we talk about hip angles. If they can see the elbow, they can see the block, you're probably in trouble, bud. Okay. Yeah. We try to keep it simple for our guys, show them film, talk to them, but then show them goods and bads. goods and bats. But elbows and blocks are something we talk about a lot as far as angles.
1: Yeah. Okay. Coach, if I could just ask you about one aspect of the pick and roll defense when you're shading left and specifically the right outer third. So if you're shading left, let's say on the, the left outer third and you're able to force to the weak hand or going towards the corner and the middle third, maybe it's going towards that corner. But then on the right side, it could potentially get in middle if it goes over the top of the on ball or whatnot. I mean, when Pat and I were discussing before the communication elements of this, the communication of your guard and the big at the different spots on the floor with that ball always going, I guess, to the weak hand and how you might think about defending it?
0: So for us, the right side of the floor was the easiest side, just to be honest with you, Dan, because when we were on the right side of the floor, let me back up a little bit. So on the shade left defense, when we started, we were a red, hard show, aggressive team with the post on the right side of the floor. And then on the left side of the, and then in the middle third, we weaked everything to the left hand, kind of a flat show in the middle of the floor. And then on the left side, we were an ice team, right? We were an ice team because that fit naturally for my thinking of the shade left defense, because it's really important for us, for the guard to get the ball to the screen, okay? To get your guy so you can have a little help. That's initially what we did. We were terrible (laughs) on the left side of the floor with ice it was really, really bad for us. And part of it was I had never taught it. I wasn't comfortable with it. And so it it just didn't fit me. It didn't fit with the way we were guarding or anything. So we decided to red hard hedge on both sides of the floor. And on the left side of the floor, the ball screen trumped the shade left. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. So whenever the big or whoever was setting the ball screens, we they're guard to guard, we just switched it. But if it's a big, he was calling out, you know, screen, 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 screen. And so that guard immediately, and this was the hardest part, was he had to end up forcing him back to his right hand if the mm -hmm. ball screen's coming back to the middle of the floor. And so that was the hardest part. Now, our bigs were, and, and we still got one of them, like when we went to this, like Our bigs were really good at redding, and we were killing it on that side of the floor. On the right side of the floor with our red, our ball screen d- defense was dynamite, like dynamite. So I said, "The hell with it, we're redding on both sides. If it's going to be good on that <laughs> side, it's going to be good on that s-. It wasn't quite as good, but we decided to trump, the ball screen will trump our shade left defense on that side of the floor, and we went to red. And then, so the, the guard had to get, switch his feet when he heard the ball screen coming and force him to his right hand. And then we tried to force it up the floor a little bit and keep it on one side of the floor. So on that side where you're shading left, honestly, it was easy for the guard because he's already shading him there. He's getting him to the screen. He wasn't going to get beat to the right anyway. So it was perfect on that right side of the floor. On that left side, when we switched and we still do that now, for the most part, we do a few different ball screen coverages to me when we're scouting, it's, it's how are we going to defend the ball screen? How are we going to defend the post? Everything else can kind of take care of itself.
2: Coach, it's very interesting if we stick on that side where the ball screen will trumpet. I, just maybe go through your thought process some more. I guess, did you guys weigh like just reading it regardless of where the ball screen is, you know, so the guard won't change his foot angle, but the big will just kind of rush the ball.
0: We did. We talked about redding it and trapping it on that baseline side, because, you know, you think about that, if they're driving it left on that left side into that corner, we actually talked about, you know, instead of reading it, just trap it. And because they're in that deep corner and everybody can be loaded to the ball and maybe we're not great at work. A lot of times, you know, we kind of value skill over athleticism. <laughs> not that we don't have athletic dudes. I'm not saying that, but we're kind of a protect the paint, pretty conservative defense, you know? And so that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. Something to think about. I kind of like the idea a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Coach, one last quick detail on this. This is really interesting. But when a guy is driving it left, and let's say he's broke the three-point line, do you want your defenders to work to level them? Or would you prefer them basically continuing to force them left towards, say, the block or an angle? That's a tough shot to make, but also like you know, if they try to pass it out, it's at a place where you're comfortable with. Like, Do you want them to square the ball up on a drive or just keep forcing them left
0: somehow? The pass that's the hardest pass for us to defend is like you're talking about, we want to continue to fight, but we talk about all the time they cannot get back and throw this pass with the right hand back behind us because we're coming from the backside. We're going to be in a long tag situation or a crackdown situation. So if they're able, we got to be on that left shoulder so they can't pivot and pass backwards. It's a great question because if you overcommit we want you to continue to fight now. Don't get me wrong. We want you to continue to fight and pass over hands that they're going to pass the ball. But it's funny you bring that up. We talk about that all the time. You can't let them get pivoted and reverse back to a pass with the right hand. That's good. We're going to be in trouble. Okay. And so yeah. we stay on that left shoulder on that pivot. Okay. Mm-hmm. My last question is just
2: actions that give you trouble to keep them left. Is it coming off when they set stagger screens followed by? pick and roll or handoffs, I guess, what are the actions you find yourself constantly working on that are a little bit more trouble and that you have to nuance, keep them left?
0: The ball screen on the left side and then loop cuts on the right side. Okay. Them changing angles or just slipping screens out of slipping screens when we're already shading them left. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you hear a screen coming or so you might think a ball screen's coming. So you're really, really forcing them left a little bit more. And that's when you see our guys' hips open up just a little too much. We talk about holding and we talk about not opening up too much, but those are the two things that give us the most troubles are the ball screen on the left side and the slip cuts, the loop cuts, whatever you want to call them on the right side when we're already shading them left.
1: Yeah. Okay. Coach, our last start subset for you has to do with lineup decisions, like decisions of who's going to play. But we want to focus on like You're four through eight. So most teams have one or two or three guys that you kind of know are your studs, your starters that need to be in the game. But then when you're making a decision, the last two starters and the first few players off the bench, what's most important as far as you and your staff making that decision to who's going to play? So start, sub or sit when making lineup decisions. Are you looking at the analytics? What the analytics tell you with those players? Are you looking at just competition? You know, who's competing better in practice? Or are you looking at the complementary skill set of those four through eight and how they might play or complement your top
0: two or three guys? To me, the start is for sure the, you know, the complementary player. It's all about the fit and how are these guys going to play together? And what do we need to have on the court that maybe these other guys don't have? That we believe need to happen for us to be successful. So to me, that's number one. That fit piece, and if we have five shooters, that isn't always going to fit either. You know, we got to have somebody that can score with their back to the basket. You know, otherwise they're just going to switch all screens. Different things. So the complementary piece to me is really, really important. Then the second, which isn't far behind, the sub would be the competition piece. Who's the the fire? That maybe that energy that is going to Create excitement, you know, and, and just compete like hell. Oh, I mean, I, I, it's one of our five character traits, so I better reward it, right? <laughs> sure. Then the sit would be the analytics piece. I mean, we do look at analytics as a program, but to me, if that's what you're making decisions solely on, you got to be committed to that 100%. And that's really not who we are.
1: Coach, I'll just start with your start. So I thought it was interesting you just mentioned if you have five shooters, that might not work either and i think that's some coaches that sounds like a dream to have five guys that can all (laughs) shoot right but you mentioned you've got to have people that do different things so i guess tying in all the stuff you had a great three-point shooting team last year but you also had other guys that did some of the dirty work or fit within that so like when you're developing the offense and teaching it just thinking about how complementary players might fit within a great shooting team and how teaching them how to still add value to your offense let's say if they're not one of those types of players.
0: It goes a little bit back. And I said, I'm not an analytics guy, but, <laughs> you know, efficiently and offensive efficiency, we were also number one in the country last year. Like you guys said at the beginning of the show, like we we're 181st in three point field goal attempted, right? Per comparatively. So to me, it's great balance. You got to be able to score in multiple ways and you just have to be efficient the way you do it. I think understanding and appreciating guys' different skills. And guys bring different value to the team, I think is really, really important. And I think everybody talks about a three-point field goal percentage, but what's the first thing I brought up? Getting the ball into the paint. And you got to be able to have guys that can do that if that's what our philosophy is, is to get paint touches. So can they get to the paint? Are they willing to throw the ball into the paint? Are somebody willing to post up? to be able to make those plays and are they able to score one-on-one? So I do feel like that fit and to be able to have guys that understand their role and understand that just because they may not be making the three-point shot doesn't mean they don't bring great value to our team. Coach, when you
2: figure out, okay, who are you going to be your starters? Who's going to be your sixth, seventh, eighth man? How do you view substitution and your rotations in game?
0: I don't do the subbing as the head coach. I don't do any of the subbing now. Before the game, I talked to the coach that is in charge of that and we come up with a plan, right? And my philosophy that we talked about and we share together as a staff is we're not going to play 10 guys most games. If it's a close game, we're going to play eight, maybe nine. Because when you start doing that, and this is just a philosophical thing, Pat, to me, you're going to be taking away minutes from guys that probably are more higher minute guys. So now you got guy number two pissed off. You got number three pissed off. You got four pissed off, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're all pissed. (laughs) They're all pissed because, yeah, they're still playing and they like that, but they want to play more and they probably deserve it. And so for me, understanding that, you know, having guys understand that we're not a program that's going to play a lot of dudes. They know that going into it. Now, do they have to be ready? Absolutely. Are they valued? Absolutely. Does that mean that they can't do one of the jobs? No. It's just somebody's doing it better. And that's what competition's all about. Subs, like during a game situation, to me, tired. If you're tired, if it's one of our guys, if you're tired, you're going to come out. Here's the things that I look at that are must. If you don't sprint back on defense, you're coming out. If you talk back to a referee, you're coming out. Those are the only absolutes that I have as a program. I tell Coach Plink, who does our subbing, I don't care, I don't care. I trust all the guys that are going to play. I trust these guys give us the best chance to win. We're all good. We understand if somebody's playing good and somebody's not, that's pretty natural, you know, and our guys all fit together. So we're good that way. Now, do we do things for certain matchups once in a while to get people stretched out? You know, we're going to stretch them out once in a while, some things like that. But the only absolutes, you're not sprinting back on D or you're, if you're not being respectful and you're talking back to referees or, or being disrespectful, you're out.
1: Coach, you're off the start, sub or sit hot seat. Thanks for playing that with us. That was, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> it's a lot you. of fun. <laughs> uh, well, coach, we got one last question for you before we close, but this was really fun. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you, coach.
0: Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, like I said before, I love talking hoops and we certainly don't have all the answers, but we have fun doing it and try to get better every day.
1: Coach, our last question for you is when we ask all the guests and it's, What's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach?
0: Well, you know, I was a GA at Iowa State and uh, I'd got my master's degree. And, and so I was done and they didn't really have a spot for me. And TJ Otzelberger, who, you know, is the coach at Iowa State now, was at a school in Wisconsin called Catholic Central High School. And he told me, Hendo, because he I know this may seem weird, but why don't you go be the athletic director and coach high school basketball there? It was a private school and, you know, played a bunch of city schools in Milwaukee and Racine and really, really good basketball league. So it was kind of an investment of, you know, or trust maybe of getting out of the game, getting out of college basketball with having faith that, you know, could I ever get back in? But what it was and why I think it was probably the best is I ended up becoming the principal of that school for two years. And the leadership skills that I was able to learn, you know, communication styles that I was able to learn, the empowerment that I was able to learn. How to deal with adversity, how to deal with people that were in tough situations was just invaluable to me and it had nothing to do with basketball. And to take that leap of faith or investment to go do that and now be the head coach at South Dakota State. I'm still an educator, but I get to do it through the game that I love at a school that has tremendous support. I'm really, really a lucky dude.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit SlappingGlass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. But do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like Slapping Back or <laughs> Slapping Glass. <laughs> slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's that. That's good.
2: Let's roll <laughs> Slapping Glass.